0: grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's our custom, Sovereign we travel around the country to uh, uh, greet you in the name of Jesus from the last three churches that we visited. And we make uh, an effort to do that every week and ask the people if they want to do that. It's not something we, you know, it's not our greetings we're bringing. I'm the messenger. So, uh, and they all agreed enthusiastically, yeah, t- say, say. Say hi to them. Greet them in the name of Jesus. So I bring you greetings for last week from Mount Olive in, in uh, Forest Grove. Biggest tree I've ever seen growing next to a church. I don't know if you've been there, but somebody planted some sequoias in Forest Grove uh, some years ago, like 150. And uh, yeah, big. So they. that's not all that's going on there, though. Just let you know some things grow slowly. It's okay. Be patient. Uh, good reminder, all nations in Newport... Uh, greet you in the name of jesus it's a church i don't know if you've been there but about fourth the size of this one maybe seems like it so but filled with very active people so uh, they greet you as do the people down south way down south in sacramento at town and country lutheran on the north east side of town so uh, there they are you know they're out there, other people like you, worshiping today, but here's greetings from some of them. It's like Paul used to do when he wrote letters and said, greet so-and-so, and so-and-so says hi, and uh, to know we're all walking together. Now if you like, we'll take your greetings to the next couple of churches, three that we visit. See, somebody said, yep, you're very enthusiastic, so I, will, uh, I, will t- I can tell them honestly that you really are. So uh, that would be St. Peter's and Cornelius, place we know how to get to since we went to Forest Grove and drove right past them. And uh, Emmanuel in Puyallup, Washington. When I said to the secretary something about Puyallup, she told me there's no poo in Yallup, so We haven't been there yet, so I look forward to that. And then Lamb of God in Everett, Washington, which is in a little down the hill in a little bowl next to a field with cavorting coyotes and deer and so forth. And there is a Lamb of God Lutheran school, and they meet in the gymnasium, and they are uh, uh, going strong there next to Lake Stevens. So we'll greet them from you, and we can all remember the Lord knows where we're all at all the time and keeps track of us somehow, even before GPS. So a lot going on. Easter. Easter. What do we celebrate on Easter? Yeah, okay. Christ is risen. Yeah, Indeed, yeah, <laughs> it was, that's what you say then. And so this means what? <laughs> I, I want you, I wish you could see, I'm not going to look at him. I wish you could see the one man who's going, <laughs> it's, not so that, it's not so much you don't have an answer, it's that, what does he want me to say right now? <laughs> that's why people are quiet then. If I were to ask you where you were going to go when you die, he, you would say heaven, and that would be accurate. Unless uh, you, perhaps if you die at the very moment Lord Jesus appears, you know, there might be some question, but... Uh, okay, heaven. We'll, we'll stick with heaven. Let me ask you this. Where are you going to go after you go to heaven? There is a question we don't often ask, but the Bible is full of it. The, full of that question. <laughs> some people believe that differently than I just said it, but uh, the Bible is full of the idea that Christ is raised and that is very important and means something for us. Let me ask it this way. If Jesus is raised from the dead, what does that say about you? You will also be raised from the dead. Okay, now that's, is that a different thing than going to heaven? Because when you go to heaven, where does your body go? Uh, Yeah, or in some cultures, up, or anything could happen to it. But it doesn't really matter because you won't be needing it anymore. That particular set of bones, right? You are not the person you used to be. Literally, your cells are different now than they used to be. Some of them hang in there, I guess brain cells or something, but most of you has just been swapped out for other molecules, right? We know that now. And so it seems we can get by somehow if God is in charge, resurrecting us, maybe he can just use all new stuff, right? But you will still be you. And that seems to be the point that Jesus, that is, in fact, definitely the point that Jesus is trying to make with his disciples in the reading that we had this morning. And not just this one, the one with... Uh, the one with Thomas as well that you probably read last week. But this, this time, Jesus is trying to make the point that it's really him. They've gone to see him in Galilee. It's really him. And he, is, uh, he did come through that door some time ago. And that's a bit weird, right? But then he said, Thomas, come over here. Take my hands feel the nail prints. This is the guy who was crucified. Feel my side. See, it's me. I'm not a ghost. He says things like that. And at one point he says, okay, fine. You still don't get it. Got any fish? Anything to eat, right? Spirits don't eat. It wasn't unlikely that they might see a spirit. Do you recall the story of Peter going to prison? This happens after his his, uh, encounter with the man in, in in the temple. They finally get fed up with Peter. They throw him in jail. And uh, his, the church is very afraid for him. The angel comes at night and says, Pete, get up. We're breaking out of this joint. And, and out they go. And he's in the street, and the angel leaves him. He thought it was a dream, but he realizes it's real. He goes back to the house where they meet. And the door opens, and a young girl answers and sees him and immediately shuts the door <laughs> and goes and tells everybody, Peter's at the front door. And they say, And what do they say? It must be his ghost, right? It must be his spirit. So it wasn't unknown to them to see apparitions. And you may have heard stories like that. You know, so-and-so appeared to me, and uh, I only found out later he died an hour before that, you know, that sort of thing. It's not unknown. I'm not saying yay or nay, but, I mean, it's a thing that seems to happen to some people at least. So they thought it might be happening. And Jesus is trying to cover that base by saying, no, this is something you have not seen before. Nobody's seen before. It's me in my body, in the flesh, Blood pumping, heart pounding, brain cells firing. It's me. I'm a human being still, a little bit more than I was. He doesn't explain that. It's not time for that yet. We'll get to see firsthand later on. But as John makes very clear in his epistle, we look forward to being like him, like he is now. And like he is now. He didn't leave his humanity here when he ascended to heaven. There's a human being in heaven, in the flesh and blood, right? Who else has been resurrected in that way? Go ahead. The answer is absolutely no one. He's the only one. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And we look forward to that. He's a sign and a symbol that it will happen to us. Also, we're told many times over and over that his resurrection is a vindication by his father that everything he said was true. How many times did he say, they're going to put me to death on the third day I will rise again. I will tear down this temple. And on the, and third day, build it up. In three days, build the temple, right? So the resurrection is very important. And it doesn't just say, yes, there is life after death. it There is, but it tells us that uh, there's there's life after life after death. I look forward to going to heaven, but I'm not going to unpack. It's, it's kind of a joke because you can't take it with you, so what would you have to unpack? But, but you know, my attitude should be, I'm not staying here forever. This is great. This is wonderful. And yet, at some point, we're told the Lord will appear or return. The Lord will return. Uh, On the count of three, I'm going to close my eyes. On the count of three, I want everybody to come back into the room. One, two, three. Excellent work. This is the way Jesus is going to return to earth because he never left. He went into a cloud, the symbol of God's presence in the Old Testament. And he's with us in a different way through his Holy Spirit, but he hasn't gone away from us. I'm with you always even to the end of the age, right? So, resurrection, that's different than just living forever as a disembodied spirit floating on a cloud playing a harp with wings on, right? The world has that picture out there, and it's amazing how the ideas the world has find their way, they, we can close all the doors and bar the windows, and they still seep in, don't they? Because we've got to go out there. And there those ideas are. But we have something different that no other faith has ever come up with. Resurrection. All right. That's cool. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? All sorts of things I don't have time to go into. And, and, uh, but I want to go into the one story that we do have this morning, the one from Acts, where Peter and John go into the temple, again, to preach and teach. And they see a guy with a cardboard sign sitting at a gate called Beautiful. And uh, it says in Aramaic, any, any help is appreciated or words to that effect? And Peter says, you know, looks intently at him. And you, the, the, Jesus did that. He's, he's, it's a clue he's about to do what Jesus did. Looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have. Just something Jesus also could have said. But what I do have, remember this, what I do have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus rise up and walk. And he did. Over 40 years old, apparently had never walked a day in his life, completely unable. And now he's up and dancing and he won't let go of Peter and John, we're told, when we come to the reading that we have, the part of the reading. And, it, and of course, it drew a crowd. That's not the only reason it was done. They didn't just do these signs and wonders to draw a crowd so they could preach, for, you know, forgiveness and, and, and uh, you know, you can go to heaven when you die. Did it because the man couldn't walk, first of all, and, that, and Jesus sees that sort of thing and he says, that's not right. I'm making all things new again, all things. And uh, in the new creation, you will be able to walk. Let's start right now. So up he gets. Now I have not been given that authority like Peter had. We're told later that people would come just to touch a hanky that, Jesus, uh, that Peter had touched, just like they had with Jesus. And Jesus is making a point. I've given my authority to my apostles. I'm still here. They're doing the things that I'm doing. And he said, even greater things than I did, you will do. Because uh, when Jesus was done with his ministry, there were 120 people who believed in him. After this event, there were over 5,000. And that's what he wants, people. He wants you. And he wants you to be new. He wants you to be healed. He wants to raise your circumstances. I'm not about to say, if you just believe hard enough, you'll be rich, and there'll be a red Ferrari, and you're... I'm not going that way, because that's not what he says. That's We'll let other people say that, and, and not us. Peter put himself in danger. In fact, it goes just the other direction, because by doing this, Peter put himself in great danger with the Sadducees, who had a nice little system with the Romans going on. You don't bother us, we won't bother you, we won't get too uppity, and you keep our temple going. But now Jesus, now Peter and John and the rest are saying, Jesus has come and forgiven all sins. His kingdom is operative right now. He died, but he rose again. And by that act, God said, yes, you are the king of the Jews. Get to work. And Jesus said, I am the king of the Jews. All authority has been given to me. I give it to you. Go and make followers for me. Baptize people. Do what I was doing. And here's Peter doing that. And immediately it got him into trouble, which it will do. And for some very practical reasons, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they don't want anybody messing with their sin management business model. Just releasing sins willy-nilly means you don't have to come to the temple with all your very expensive doves and lambs and things, and what are we going to do for a living? Yeah. So it was very practical that they took him to jail and said, you've got to stop this right now. It wasn't just a doctrinal issue. It was very practical. Whenever the kingdom of God is operating on all cylinders, somebody out there in the world and the powers that be is not going to like it because it's going to take away some aspect of profit or power or something. What's the first Christian creed? Three words, at least in English, Jesus is Lord. You know what was very popular at that time? Caesar worship. It was just growing at that time. And what do you say when you pinch a bit of incense at the temple of Caesar? Caesar is Lord. It's a direct answer to that whole thing growing up. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. There's not room for two lords. We can't put Jesus up in heaven. He's king up here, and you know whoever's in charge gets the rest of this place. He means to be king right here, right now, but not in the same way as those other kings. Not with power, not with force. Right after this story where they're taken into jail and the Sadducees say, don't ever speak in this name again. And Peter says, well, you decide whether we should obey God or you, which is (laughs) not a compliment. And they say, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. We won't stop. We can't. We have to keep going. And they went back to the church and told them what happened. And the church rejoiced and and, uh, prayed a prayer that we'll get to in a moment. But after that, they were free for that time to speak freely about Jesus the apostles were and we're told you had this reading last week if you recall did they uh, the acts 4 all things in common yeah the direct result of the the apostles teaching was that people didn't suddenly they were they believed what Jesus said that a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions and that uh, money can be a problem and they but it's also very useful and uh, so they didn't consider anything that they had their own they sold houses and lands because people needed stuff. And I got this. I don't. I got two of these. I don't need this. Here, you take it. And you can see how that would ruin the economy. What if everybody woke up tomorrow and said, I don't really own anything. It all belongs to God. I should give some of this stuff away. If every last person in the whole country, let's just stop with our country, said that, we... I think we might face utter economic ruin because our whole system is built on it. I don't think there's any danger of that happening. So the economy would probably keep chugging on. But wouldn't it be nice if at least a handful or a remnant of people would suddenly get that idea or even gradually that maybe I don't own anything. Maybe everything really does belong to God. Maybe the only reason I have it is so that I can steward it for the sake of others and for his glory. That's what was happening to them. They weren't very good capitalists. They were terrible communists. Because nobody was forcing them to do it. Communists, I guess, or something like that. They just did it. The Holy Spirit did it in them. Yeah, it's amazing. I look at them and I think, I want to be like those guys. That was the direct result of the teaching of Jesus. Yeah. And that proves that he's operating in this sphere, in this dirt, in this air. He means to make this place his kingdom. Now, the thing that impresses me most about that story, and the thing that I think shows what the kingdom of God looks like, how it looks like not self-seekers, but self-givers. How the people of that time, when they, when they decided, I'm going to follow Jesus, the Spirit made them into giving people instead of, what can I get out of this, people, is the prayer that they prayed after Peter and John came home from jail. And they said... Look at the things that our opponents have said. Lord, view that. And then they left it alone. They left it in his hands. And at the end of the prayer, they said, stretch out your hand and do this stuff some more. You know, heal more people. Do signs and wonders. Show the people who you are. But in the middle, they said, we only ask for us that we might be given boldness to speak your word. They were in grave danger. In a little bit of time, they would be thrown in jail. They would James would be run through with a sword by Herod. And he saw that the Jews were happy about that, the ones who didn't believe in Jesus, and said, uh, well, let's see who else we can skewer. Right? They were always in constant danger, with great joy, happy to be speaking for Jesus. Please, can't we have more of that? That's hardly prosperity, teaching, talking. May we have such a thing. Don't take the offering after this. We're still in the sermon.
1: At the temple gate called beautiful, they gave the begging man the healing name of Jesus so that he could understand. Of forgiveness, blessings of new life contained in Christ, the righteous one, disdained for sinners' strife. And then they stood before the law to answer for their deed, are told to never speak again his name to those in need. They answer you, decide if we should heed you, O the Lord. We cannot stop telling of the things we've seen and heard. Together now they wonder to the Lord that all the earth is railing at the Anointed One and those with a new birth. In confidence they pray the Lord to look upon this test, and then they lay before him this single bold request. We do not ask that you would thwart the plans of evil men, we do not ask that we would never suffer. Pain again, we will, we will not ask your justice for the slanders we have heard. We only seek for boldness now. We might speak your word. Our petitions, we are standing now before the Lord. Thank and praise and ask him for the blessings he has stored. So let us not forget the ones who need that name we've heard. Let us seek for boldness now that we might speak his word. you with thwart the plans of evil men. We do not ask that we would never suffer pain again. We will not ask your justice for the slanders we have heard. We only seek for boldness now.
0: I think this is all political. I don't see it that way. There's a New Testament scholar in England who wrote a letter to the BBC after they aired a, a, a film, a documentary, I guess, called The Son of God, The Life of Jesus. And he said, you took out all this stuff about the kingdom. He was constantly preaching the kingdom of God. You, you edited it all out. It's hardly an accurate picture of Jesus. And this is the answer he got back from the BBC executive after 2,000 years with no evidence whatsoever of any kind of alternate kingdom, we figured we were doing Jesus a favor by leaving it all out. It's embarrassing, I guess, you know, his program was such a failure. And among the many things that Dr. Wright wrote, two examples I'd like to bring up of things the church might have had something to do with, from South Africa and Poland, in South Africa, he said apartheid would probably have fallen apart all by itself. And yet it was helped along considerably by a bishop, Desmond Tutu, who organized nonviolent protests without rivers of blood, as the whole world imagined it might be. I mean, when, when was there a country who through rivers of blood abolished slavery? Can you think of one? Yeah, but they didn't go that route, largely because of the Christians in that country. And they whittled away until finally it just fell apart. And now they have commissions of reconciliation, trying to put things back together again. When does that ever happen? It's God at work. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, at least. And the other example is this Polish guy who became Pope. Again, Eastern European communism was destined to fall of its own weight. But you can't deny that he led the Poles, the Christians... Give it a little nudge, and it fell sooner, no doubt. Those are the two examples Dr. Wright used, at least among others. You can go to William Wilberforce and his abolishing of the slave trade in England and so forth. You go to Schools and hospitals, and that's how the kingdom of God works. It's not going to be an alternate kingdom with a king and a throne with an army and so forth. It's just not what it looks like. It looks like a king who washes feet and who heals a lame man. It says, today is your day to walk home. That's what it looks like. It looks like people, and I use those two examples I mentioned. You might think is political. I use those two examples because because the world tends to the Christian world tends to see Desmond Tutu as kind of a liberal guy, and I don't think that that accusation was made against the, our Polish Pope of some years ago. On the other side, so you know, whichever side you're on, you've got somebody to say, "Hmm, look what they did." Okay. So it seems to me Peter gives us a great template. I may not have silver and gold, but what I do have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.